you just have to not let your situation that you're in be a final destination. So even though like you might not be in the best current environment, you can actually change that, you know, just with your, your positive mindset and knowing where you want to go. It's easy to get lost in today's music industry with constantly changing technology and where anyone with a computer can release their own music. But I'm gonna share with you why this is the best time to be an independent musician and it's only getting better. If you have high quality music, but you just don't know the best way to promote yourself so that you can reach the right people and generate a sustainable income with your music, we're gonna show you the best strategies that we're using right now to reach millions of new listeners every month without spending 10 hours a day on social media. We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. All right, so I'm super excited to be here today with Kyle Hunter, also known as K-Sparks. So Kyle is a musician, an entrepreneur. He's written over 500 songs, recorded with Kid Cudi, gotten over 8.3 million streams on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Music. He's the CEO of a business called Rhythm Couture. Is that, that's how you pronounce it, right, Couture? Yep, Need right. to double check. It's a, it's a very sophisticated word. So, <laughs> um, so they uh, basically their purpose as a business is, is they help artists to sync their music to uh, businesses. And some of the placements that they've gotten are with 50 Cent on the TV series Power, Nick Cannon uh, with LeBron James on a Powerade campaign, Calvin Klein, Vans, Forever 21, MTV. So like a, a lot of really established established businesses. And so today, you know, I think it would be really valuable to focus on as a musician, as an independent artist, how do you get your music synced? How do you license your music? Because it does seem like that's a really big opportunity for artists who they need to be able to sustain themselves and that, to generate revenue. And it seems like licensing is one of the best ways to do that. So Kyle, thanks so much for taking the time to be here today. Oh, well, thanks for having me, Michael. I, I'm really happy to be here, man. Yeah, man, absolutely. So to start out with, uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about your story and how you know you kind of got started on this path of becoming the CEO of, of Rhythm Couture. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So my story starts out in Queens, New York. If anybody's familiar with New York City, they know about Queens. Our uh, culture musically is like very rich. We've had acts like uh, Run DMC, LL Cool J, Nas, uh, The Lost Boys, 50 Cent. I mean, you know, the list just goes on and on. Even some historically like jazz players have, uh, you know, came out of St. Albans. For a duration of time, like James Brown was in Queens too. I mean, we, you know, a lot of icons in the music culture. So the duration that I grew up in Queens actually was was during the 80s. And, you know, they coined that like the crack era, pretty much. So growing up during that time, it was very, very turbulent, you know, during the younger years because there was like a lot of narcotics just being flooded into our community. So we saw like a lot of substance abuse, a lot of gang violence, high rates of incarceration and things were, were very turbulent. I remember my mom used to walk me and my brother to school in the morning and we would like see all these vials on the ground and those were like crack vials. You know, we didn't know what it wow. was, but uh, you know, my mom would always tell us like, you know, never touch those, you know, like drugs are like bad, like they're destroying people's lives. So we, we understood at a young age, like, you know, like our parents would always tell us, you just have to not let your situation that you're in be a final destination. So even though like you might not be in the best current environment, you can actually change that, you know, just with your, your positive mindset and knowing where you want to go, you know? So me and my brother, we always kind of knew that we didn't want to stay in that environment and that we had to really just motivate and push ourselves to come out of that. So for me, 
my thing was always music. You know, I was always just a creative, just always had lots of passion and artistic, you know, like I would draw, do music. That was my thing. And I always knew, I said, well, you know what? I know that I don't want to stay in this environment, that I want better and I want more. So I just started doing like, you know, a lot of different uh, writing for different artists at studios. And then it graduated from me writing for these artists to actually putting together my own projects. So back in the days, I used to sell them out of the trunk of my car, actually. You know, I would drive around Queens and, you know, just have all these mixtapes, like 500 mixtapes. I would have my street team. And by the end of the day, they all would be gone, you know? So we started generating the buzz locally. Then out of that studio, there were like a lot of people that recorded out of that studio. Erica Badu had went to that studio. Cudi had came to that studio. So I started building like a lot of really great relationships with people, shopping music to labels. And then just writing for like a lot of different acts. And then what ended up happening was I got approached by an A&R for a music licensing company. And at the time, I didn't know what music licensing was. I was, you know, foreign to this. And she said, well, hey, we like your music. We would like to pitch it for opportunities to get in TV and film. So I said, all right. You know, I gave them a couple of songs. I didn't give them too many because I didn't really trust them out the gate. I didn't know what the outcome would be. So I played it a little safe, but the handful of songs that I did give them, I never forget, like it could have been like maybe three months later, they gave me like a few thousand dollars. And I was amazed. I was like, wow, this is like really like, you know, something that's actually viable. So from that point, I started giving more music, writing more music for different TV shows, films. And it was so lucrative over time. I eventually decided, you know what, I'm just going to actually formulate my own sync company because I had so many viable working relationships and so many talented musicians that I work with. And that's essentially what I did with my uh, my business partner, Robert. You know, like we created Rhythm Couture and we've been moving ever since, man. Mm. Man, <laughs> that's that's amazing. Um, and really, really inspiring story, especially like when you talk about your upbringing and the the power. Yeah, if, I'm not sure if you ever read the book, A Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. So it's basically a book written by someone who was like in the middle of the Holocaust and was in a concentration camp and basically lost his family. Like he just went through the absolute worst circumstances you can ever imagine. And throughout that experience, realized that the most important thing isn't like the circumstances, but it's how you respond. And it's like, it comes from inside. And it sounds like that's what, what you were describing as well, is that kind of in the midst of this turbulence, you were able to reinforce, like look within and reinforce and have have a positive mindset to have a vision to get out of that. Yeah, there's something incredibly inspiring about that. Yeah, definitely. You know, and, and one thing I realized too, Michael, um, that, you know, no matter what situation you're in, that, you know, you can choose your actions, but you can't choose your consequences. So even though you might necessarily be in a negative environment, it's always important to be mindful of that, you know? So always just be persistent, but at the same time, be cognizant of those choices that you make because every choice does carry a consequence, you know? So, you know, if you want positive results, put in positive work, positive energy, you know, positive thoughts to actually just motivate yourself and focus in on that goal and don't waver from it, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's powerful. All right. So, uh, so music licensing, you know, so for anyone who's uh, listening to this right now, why should they be interested in music licensing or what are some of the big, biggest benefits that, that could come from it? Well, definitely music licensing is an alternative to the traditional music business model. So meaning that back in the days, the goal for a musician was to get a record deal. 
right? It's like, I have to get signed. I have to get put on because that's the only way I'm going to be successful. And I feel that, especially for like the modern musician nowadays, that music licensing provides you with that opportunity to actually earn revenue and not have to rely so much on the old traditional model. Because I, I do feel like that that old model is very vintage. Like there's so many other ways that artists can generate revenue and sustain a lifestyle for themselves. And the thing that I liked about it was I realized early on, because I, I had plenty of record deals. I dealt with a lot of different labels. And I didn't like the fact that like once I got signed, there was so many chefs in the kitchen. So you know, you get signed to the A&R that likes you, but maybe necessarily the marketing department doesn't really like your project as much as they like other projects. So now you're depending on them to market it. And what I like about music licensing, it doesn't work like that. Like essentially you can license a song and let's say that that song goes to Pepsi or Coca-Cola. Well, now you don't have to pay for a publicist for that song because Pepsi and Coca-Cola has now become your publicist right? They have millions of dollars and they're investing into that campaign. So I think licensing empowers you because you get paid on the front end and you also get paid on the back end. And you don't have to worry about all the things that you would have to worry about if you had a quote unquote record deal, you know? So yeah. it really takes some of the hard work out of it, which is, which is pretty cool. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah. So, so it sounds like with music licensing, it's basically an alternative where you can be more independent. You don't have to rely or depend on a record label or someone like there's different cooks in the kitchen. They, they may or may not all come together. So with music licensing, um, I guess one, uh, one question would be like, you know, how it kind of plays into both to both models too. Cause it sounds like what you're saying as well is that one of the benefits of music licensing is that if you get a placement on uh, a Coke or a Pepsi commercial, that that also helps to benefit you in terms of exposure. Like it's like having a publicist on your team that's investing millions of dollars on your behalf. So do you think that those two are like complementary, like to both like having a revenue stream in music licensing, then also being able to pursue like a traditional artist career and growing a, growing a fan base? Yeah, of course. You know, and I always say, you know, diversity is key. Like I, a lot of the musicians that we have, I tell them like, look at music licensing, like you would look at like traditional investing. And when people talk about investing, they talk about active income, passive income and portfolio income. And mm -hmm. when you look at it in terms of music, well, your portfolio consists of your songs, right? Like your catalog has to be diverse. It's like investing. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. Right. Mm -hmm. So that artistic portfolio, you'll have multiple genres, multiple styles that you can actually pitch to these music supervisors. The active income would be something that's pretty much like you have to be physically present for. So whether it's touring, you're doing um, in stores, you have to show up every day or you don't get paid. The thing about music licensing, that's ideally your passive income. So even though you've made these songs and they're in your portfolio, you're still getting paid for them, you know, so it's one of those things whereas you can actually work different markets at the same time and generate multiple income streams from licensing. So to me, it's really actually the most viable for artists because you find yourself working smarter instead of working harder, you know? Mm, that's so good. So let's say that someone who's uh, listening to this right now has you know, a little bit of experience with licensing, like they've, they've heard it talked about, but they haven't really fully implemented a strategy yet to get their song synced. What are some of the first steps? And, and also, you know, what are some of the biggest challenges that you see artists struggling with when they first get started down, down this path of trying to license their music? So, you know, I think the, the first step for artists 
to try to get licensed is to get your house in order. You know, I always say that, like, make sure that you have the basics, such as a lot of times artists want to get signed to my company, but they don't have a performing rights organization. You know, so I say, well, you know, these things matter. They're important because if you don't have your performing rights organization set up, then you're not taking full advantage of the opportunities that can come to you. So that's the mm -hmm. first thing, getting that information in place, making sure that your music is sample free, because oftentimes artists will have songs that have samples. And I tell them, unfortunately, there's nothing we can do with that, you know? Mm -hmm. So making sure that the songs and the business side of it are actually to the point where we can actually work with the product. I think that as far as like challenges for artists, with music licensing, I think just kind of understanding the business side of it, because it is different. It's not necessarily the same as the traditional music industry. So just explaining to them that difference in terms of how we operate, what we do. Sometimes artists can be a bit apprehensive, so they don't know. Like I was in the beginning, right? When I first got with that music licensing company, I only gave them a couple of songs. I'm like, I don't know what the results will be. So sometimes artists will give us like two songs and I try to explain to them, unfortunately, you know, if you don't give us enough to work with, sometimes you're stifling yourself. So I always encourage them, try to give as much as possible because I don't want an opportunity to come for a placement and it could be like a very lucrative placement opportunity, but you only gave us two songs and neither of those two songs fit this opportunity, you know? Mm. So I guess just actually having the mentality to, to be open to learning that can really help a lot of artists. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And just like in general, like a really valuable um, mindset is just to be open to, to learning and constantly growing and, and making mistakes. So I guess that, that brings up a really good question. I think a lot of people, and this is probably a question that, that you get a lot, is knowing the difference between a good deal and a bad deal. And I think artists, especially early on, if they don't really understand the lay of the land, they're, they're especially worried about getting taken advantage of. And they're wondering, like, how, how do I spot the difference between something that is a good deal and not? And sometimes you hear horror stories about, about things like this. So like, what, what is a good deal? And, and what would like be a good first step for them? Would it be kind of doing what, what you did early on? And just like, kind of, but then again, you, you, you know, you just mentioned that in some ways that that can actually kind of shoot themselves in the foot. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that what a, what a quote unquote good deal is, it really, it really depends on the individual artist, right? Because what might be a good deal for one artist might not necessarily work for another artist. And I'll give you the perfect example. Like, me personally, I have a lot of music. So throughout the years, I mean, it's, it's over like 500 songs, you know, easily. Mm -hmm. So because my catalog is so big, I can actually choose what I want to do with certain songs. So if there's a handful of records that I feel actually might pop better than others, and I want to put them in exclusive arrangements for maybe like a two-year term to see what can be done with them, I have the wiggle room to do that because my catalog is so big. An artist who might have a smaller catalog, let's say that they only have maybe 10 songs, right? And all of those 10 songs hold or carry an emotional weight for them, right? Maybe they wrote songs about their grandmother that they loved or their, their grandma's special oatmeal cookies, right? <laughs> and they're, and they're, you know, they're emotionally invested into these records. An exclusive deal for them really wouldn't be that great because they're like, all right, you know, I only have a small catalog and these songs mean a lot to me. I don't want to sign them exclusively. I want non-exclusive deals. So mm -hmm. 
it really boils down to where you're at creatively, how much music you have and what your expectation is. You know, I always tell artists, if you're the type of artist that likes freedom, then a non-exclusive deal would be the best for you because it's like dating, right? You're non-exclusive. You get to see whoever you want to see when you want to see them, right? <laughs> Exclusive is like marriage. It's like, you know, the, the death do us part. We're in this, you know, for this term and this duration. So it all boils down to expectation. I think artists should do their due diligence to write, I would say write it out, you know, like what are your expectations? What are your goals and what do you want to get out of music licensing? And then as you shop your music to different outlets, whether it be uh, to sync agents or music licensing companies like mine's, you can compare what your expectations are against what that company presents. And if it's a perfect marriage, then you go for it, you know? Mm. Awesome. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, it does seem like in a lot of cases, I, I love that analogy as well, like the dating and building relationships applies to like a lot of different things. But, you know, being able to kind of date, date before you get married sometimes is a good decision. You don't, you don't necessarily want to just marry someone without, you know, having built a relationship first. So I'd be curious if you could share just like at a high level, an overview of the steps that an artist would take. Let's say that someone has... 20 songs and they're new to the licensing world they have these songs and they've professionally recorded them they feel proud of them and let's imagine that these that these songs are actually very syncable that they're like a, a good fit for for um some different media what are like the overarching steps that they need to take in order to successfully license that music and what are a few of the different options because i know that like you just mentioned there's you could work with a public publishing company, we could work out different deals, or, you know, some people might try to go straight to like a supervisor, but you know, what, what would the, the overall framework look like? So there's options. The main ones that a lot of musicians do. And if let's say, like you said, they had 20 songs, the first option would be to say, all right, you know what, I'm going to try to get this music to music licensing companies. And a lot of times what happens is people don't know where to start. And I always tell them, well, Google is your best friend. You know, like you can Google music licensing companies, sync companies. And from there, you formulate your list and do your due diligence to read reviews. Because a lot of times artists will leave reviews for companies and say, all right, you know, this company's great. This company, not so much. And then from that point, you can essentially see which company you want to submit your music to. Now, if someone had 20 songs, I would say, like we talked about the portfolio, right? Diversification. So even though your music can be diverse, so can your picks for your pitching, right? You don't have to be married to one company if you have non-exclusive agreements. So you could take those 20 songs and break them down into groups of five, right? And target four music licensing companies and say, you know what? I'm going to pursue these companies. Once I get non-exclusive agreements with them, I will give five songs to each of those companies and then you could kind of see how the performance goes from there because they all have terms they all have terms unless it's a document that states in perpetuity and you know out the gate i wouldn't advise anyone to sign anything in perpetuity especially if it hasn't been performance based you know if you're with a company for years and it's generating a lot of revenue for you then if you're comfortable with it you say okay you know i'm pulling down six figures from this company I don't mind signing a couple songs in perpetuity because they have a proven track record, but out the gate, you really want to do non-exclusive just to fill it out, you know? So that's one avenue they can go. The second avenue would be to actually pursue music supervisors yourself. Now, what I always tell musicians is that 
it sounds great, but um, it's much harder because the reality is that everyone has built-in relationships. And we, we all know your network is your net worth, right? Like the people that you surround yourself with. And these music supervisors, they have proven relationships with sync companies, a lot of different people already. So a lot of times it's kind of like, I would liken it to sending your demo blindly to a record label A&R, right? The first thing they're going to say is no unsolicited material, right? You know, because they have to protect their best interests. So a lot of music supervisors, most of the time, they don't like getting unsolicited material from people they don't know because they don't know your intention, right? They don't know if you're the type of person that's an opportunist and you're sending the song and then you, you come in with a lawsuit five months later, oh, you stole my idea. You know, the song sounds good. <laughs> cool. So they have their guards up and rightfully so. But I mean, that's not to say that you can't have some success because there are some music supervisors that would be receptive to musicians pitching them directly. And what I do tell them is that be mindful of how you pitch. So you want to do certain things like you don't want to bog down their email with attachments, right? Like don't be that artist who you attach 30 songs and, you know, it, it's filling up their server space. Like, send streaming links, be professional. Also, let them know that you are aware of the type of content that they do. So, if this person had worked on, let's say, um, uh, I don't know, let's say like CSI or something like that, you would say, hey, so and so, I saw the work that you did on CSI. I love the work that you did. My music is similar to LL Cool J maybe you would like this. Hopefully you can check it out. You know, be professional. Don't be too long-winded. Get to the point and get them the streaming links. And if it's viable and they like it, they just might contact you directly, you know? And um, the second component of that, because a lot of times artists say, well, how do I know how to get in touch with music supervisors? Who are they? And I always say, well, the easiest way is when you're watching a TV show, don't just turn it off. When the credits come on, read those credits because the credits are going to mention and name who the music supervisor is. And from there, you do your due diligence. You know, if you go on IMDb or wherever you go and you research that person and you can reach out, you know? So there, there's plenty of avenues that musicians can explore when they're trying to really get into the business, you know? Mm, mm, that's awesome. Yeah, so, so it sounds like there's really two main branches or two, or two main ways that, that you could go about it. One is by reaching out to supervisors directly. And one of the best ways to do that is just by being observant of like, who are the music supervisors on the credits? And, and also maybe like being able to Google like different shows and see like, and maybe you can find who's listed as a music supervisor and then reaching out to them directly. And like with any relationship, you know, the way that you reach out and that you communicate is really important. Make it as simple and streamlined as possible for them. Not super long-winded, I'll get to the point, but, but then also, you know, share that you've done, done a bit of research and that you've, you know, not reaching out blindly. Um, so that's, that's one way. And one thing you mentioned was that, you know, that might seem like a more appealing option, but in a lot of ways that actually can be really challenging because you have to do a lot of extra work to build those relationships versus maybe another path would be finding a publishing company or that has already built those existing relationships. And it's sort of like a weird, a weird analogy, but uh, my wife and I are watching Breaking Bad right now. 
And there's a point where they're talking about like this distributors versus like versus and this is <laughs> I don't like take this down like a weird, a weird path, but like they're talking about distributing drugs and how like, you know, if you find the distributor, then it's like they have a, a, a collection like they're like they're people they have a lot of pre existing relationships. And so in a lot of ways, finding the distributors and making a relationship with them means that you can connect with a lot of music supervisors at once. I'd also be interested in hearing it seems like there's been so much uh, movement towards technology sort of connecting us in ways and building like algorithms where it's different markets, like like Uber, for example, is like sort of like kind of like these technology companies are, are kind of like are connecting the providers with the suppliers or the suppliers with the people who need it. And so I'd be curious if there's anything happening like that right now with music licensing. And if, if so, like what are the pros and cons? I feel like I've seen some, you know, uh, websites that kind of do that. And I think there's probably pros and cons to like being on a website like that. I'd be curious in, in hearing your thought about how technology connects with what we're talking about right now from the standpoint of the connection between the supervisors who are looking for the music and the artists themselves. Because I guess that's probably a part of what a, a good publishing company is doing right now as well is that they have a platform where it's like people can search for what they're looking for and whatnot. Yeah, I, I really feel like technology has really been the major, I call it a black swan, right? That is something that, you know, just out of the norm, right? That's able to shift culture. And culturally, before, it was like Mission Impossible. You felt like Tom Cruise trying to, <laughs> you know, trying to forge these relationships. So mm. now technology, I feel, is the great equalizer in that term because I've had a lot of musicians come to me and say, hey, thanks for those tips. Like, I was able to actually reach out and find music supervisors myself, you know, or they go on IMDb and they go on all these digital platforms whether it be social media, Instagram, or Twitter, and they're able to actually reach out in different ways, you know? So I do feel that technology plays a large part in this because at the end of the day, without that, I think it would be very much so harder for musicians trying to form these relationships with people. So mm -hmm. yeah, definitely technology. It's at the forefront. It, it's always been, you know? And it, it's mm -hmm. just that much more effective now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I totally geek out about about technology and the the future. That's there's a book called um, The Singularity Is Near by Ray Kurzweil, and he goes like really really far out with with some ideas and in, in the near to short term or short to midterm uh, with technology. That's really interesting. But I've had a few conversations with people who are a lot smarter than I am with like music licensing stuff, and and one thing that they recommend a lot is uh, making sure that. And I think this is probably goes under the realm of what you talked about, like with getting the foundations in place and making sure that you have the assets created to be of service. But I've heard a lot of people talking about metadata and making sure that you have everything like set up that way. Could you talk a little bit about what that looks like? Yes, absolutely. Meta, and I'm glad you, you brought this up, Michael, because metadata is crucial, right? Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times musicians will make these great, fantastic songs but they fall short with the metadata. So essentially what metadata is, that is the DNA of the song. That means they're giving you all the information about that record and they're being very detailed. And the reason why that information has to be so detailed is because when music supervisors are looking for certain types of genres and styles and subgenres, the metadata is gonna tell the complete story for that song. So if it's a record where they're saying, hey, we want something that's a, a party record, the metadata is gonna say, hey, upbeat, up-tempo, party, all of that information is gonna be inside of that metadata. So 
I always tell musicians, and this goes back to getting your house in order, make sure your metadata is accurate and make sure you put as much as possible. Sometimes musicians will give us songs and they'll only have like two things in the metadata. And I'm like, you can't do that because you're selling yourself short. If when music supervisors go to our site and if they're searching for certain types of music, that metadata could actually be the difference between you getting a placement that can get you thousands of dollars and them just skipping over your song. And your song might've been perfect for that opportunity. So I always say, be generous with the, the metadata. You know, it's like you go to a restaurant, say, give me some extra sauce, you know, like yeah, put, put some extra metadata in there. But, you know, <laughs> be generous with it, you know, because it, it can help you, you know? Mm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So when we're talking about metadata, could you share some examples of like specifically what that looks like? So, I mean, what comes to mind is, for example, like people, like they're searching for like mood and let's say that they're looking to fill a certain scene in, in a TV show and they're like, I want this to be somber. Or I want this to be hopeful. Like, is that what we're talking about? Like they can type that in and because you've provided that as one of the words that describes the song, now it's like your song has a likelihood to pop up. Exactly. Um, awesome. And so what does, what does it look like in terms of creating that, that metadata? Like, do you have any recommendations for people for one, like how they just organize that and keep track of their, their metadata and how they even start to like kind of brainstorm and think about, okay, like, what should I, what should I add here so that this is able to, to show up when people are searching for it? Yeah, most definitely. Well, for our company, we use spreadsheets and initially how we start the process is when musicians submit music to us, we tell them to let us know what this song is about what it means, what type of emotions does it evoke? And then we expound on it. You know, from that point, like we say, all right, we've got this foundation. We want to go even further with it. So it starts with actually just creating your own list of what you feel this song means and the emotions behind it. And I would say to take your time with it too. You know, like maybe one day you sit down, you come up with a certain list of emotions, of feelings, and then the next day you might get a light bulb and say, oh, this song actually evokes this emotion as well. So I feel it's important for artists to take as much time with the metadata as they would creating the song, because that can be actually a deal breaker, you know? Mm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. One thing that just popped in, into my mind too, as, as we were talking about this is I'm not an expert with Google AdWords or SEO. Uh, I'm, I'm more familiar with um, paid traffic on like Instagram and Facebook ads, but I have like looked a little bit into SEO research and it seems like the foundation of that strategy is that you look and you research and you see, okay, what are people searching for most often? And then based on what they're searching for, um, sometimes you can even create content that satisfies those, the search criteria so that it's kind of like custom catered based on what people are looking for. And so I wonder if that's a strategy that any like musicians employ when it comes to music licensing things. Like, you know, is there like a similar keyword research tool where you can see people searching for specific types of things? And then do people use that to be like, okay, like now we're going to create a music that matches this or like, what's your experience with that? Yeah, definitely. That's part of what I tell my musicians too. So I always give them homework, quote unquote, because I my goal and, and Robert's goal is for our musicians to succeed. And we do that through education because knowledge is power. So the tools that we equip, equip them with is to say, hey, make a list of the top 10 TV shows, watch those TV shows, listen to make sure you're, you're actually just you know, pretty much aware of the music that's being used, you know, listen to the big buildups, listen to the drops, listen to the, the genres, the subgenres, you know, is this hip hop? Is this trap? 
Um, is this pop? What type of music are they using? And then the second piece of the homework that we give them is to listen to Billboard as well, to listen to what music is on the charts. Because normally a lot of times what's charting tends to correlate with television and film. So a lot of times they do that and then they end up creating these songs that are amazing. And we're able to pitch them more because there's a need for it. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So that's the best thing about it is like keeping your ear in tune to what demands there are. Oh, what's up guys? So quick intermission from the podcast so I can tell you about an awesome free gift that I have for you. I wanted to share something that's not normally available to the public. They normally reserve for our $5,000 clients that we work with personally. This is a presentation called Six Steps to Explode Your Fan Base and Make a Profit with Your Music Online. And specifically, we're gonna walk through how to build a paid traffic and automated funnel that's gonna allow you to grow your fan base online and the system's designed to get you to your first $5,000 a month with your music. We've invested over $130,000 in the past year to test out different traffic sources and different offers and really see what's working best right now for musicians. And so I think it's gonna be hugely valuable for you. And so if that's something you're interested in, in the description, there should be a little link that you can click on to go get that. And uh, the other thing I want to mention is, you know, if you want to do us a, a huge favor, one thing that really makes a big difference early on when you're creating a new podcast is if people click subscribe, then it basically lets the algorithm know that this is something that's new and noteworthy and that uh, people actually want to hear. And so that'll help us reach a lot more people. So if you're getting value from this and you get value from the free trainings, then if you want to do us a favor, I'd really appreciate you clicking the subscribe button. All right, let's get back to the podcast. Oh yeah, that's so good. And that's like, you know, that's entrepreneurship 101 is sort of right. Like kind of feeling out like where's the biggest need? So where's the biggest demand? What did, where can I provide value? And it sounds like that's what you're recommending for, for musicians as well is by, you know, kind of keeping their ears tuned to what's providing the most value for people right now. Sometimes musicians get married to, you know, a certain type of thing. So it's like, they mm -hmm. might necessarily love to do a certain type of style, but you know, our, our goal is always to help musicians grow, right? We want you to be the best that you can be. It's like a coach. Like I, I look at ourselves like coaches, right? Like, and they're the players. We want you to be the best player you can be. You might have a mean crossover, but we want to make you Allen Iverson with that crossover. You know, we want you mm -hmm. to take it to the next level. So that's always the goal, just making them just more aware of the trends and how they can perfect those trends and just take it across the, the finish line and get out of the comfort zone, you know? Mm -hmm. for, for me personally, I can be honest, when um when I first started making music, I loved jazz hip hop. Like, I loved it. Tribe Called Quest, The Roots, Nas's tracks, like I loved it. But I was able to expand my horizons musically to realize, all right, you know, it's great that you love to make this type of music, but there is a huge world out there that likes other types of music. And if you're able to make that music well, then you're increasing your chances of getting even more placements, you know? Mm. So Yeah, that's, that's really smart. The, the analogy that comes to mind, and I, I, I share this uh, analogy uh, in a few, different, a few different ways, but when we're talking about like trends, and we're talking about what's currently like on billboard and what's currently being placed on, on shows that it's sort of like we're surfers and there's these waves that, that are coming and going. And it seems like where a lot of people get stuck is that they're trying to like swim to catch up with an old wave that, that's already passed, you know, and rather than kind of sitting there and kind of looking at behind and saying, okay, what's about what's approaching right now? Like what's, what's in kind of feeling, feeling that and then swimming along with it. And 
when you do it the right way, you can really cap, you can shoot forward. You get this huge momentum because you catch, you catch that wave. And I, and I think it's important too that, you know, when you catch the wave, it's not necessarily like, I think one concern that artists have sometimes is about this idea of, um, of selling out or, you know, just like losing their artistic integrity because it's like, they're just chasing the trends. And in some ways, I think that that's probably, that's probably possible if you go like over, like in the deep end, where it's just like completely like you promote a product that you absolutely, like it's like about murdering puppies. <laughs> like, wait, that, no. Um, but, you know, I think that there's a way to marry who you are and to, like you're saying, expand your horizons and to catch those waves. It's kind of like, your, your surfboard. It's like, it's, it's who, it's who you are. And if you bring that and you, and you marry it together with the existing waves, you can create something that's unique. It's unique, but it also is, you know, it's, it's along with that, that wave. And it seems like that's one of the best ways to not lose your integrity, but also to really, to be able to get the most, the most growth from it. Oh, definitely. You know, I always say, stay true to yourself. So just because you might be doing a current sound, it doesn't mean that you, you have to lose your artistic integrity, right? Like if you make a certain type of music, it's okay to stay true to yourself. The content can still be just as great. It's just the production value would be bigger and it would be something that can capture the masses. So to your point, that, that's so true. Like you don't necessarily lose yourself. You always stay true to who you are as a musician because that's key. And that that translates through the music as well, because people will feel it, right? Like mm. plenty of times, you know, I've, I've heard musicians that I love their music and then I hear something, I'm like, oh no, that's not him or that's not her, you know? <laughs> like, you know, mm. cause they, they didn't make it their own. It's like someone who, uh, you see two people wearing the same outfit, but someone wears it better, right? It's mm. cause they say the, the style is sold separately, right? Like, it, you know, it, mm. the, the clothes don't make it, it's the style. So. The same thing with the actual record itself. It's what you bring to it. It's your style. It's your persona. It's how the intonation, the connotation, how you can make people feel what you're saying, you know? Mm, that's so good. So I want to uh, recap here a bit. Earlier on, you were sharing about if someone was taking the path of shopping around and, and looking for a publishing company that they resonate with. Um, or a music licensing company. And you mentioned that if you, you know, if you had 20 songs, one way you could do it is have like split into four different groups of five songs each, and then like reach out to different, different ones and, and see which one, you know, which one resonates most. Is that how you'd recommend like doing it? Is that you'd like, especially if it's like non-exclusive deals, like would you still recommend splitting it up into, into different batches with those different companies or, or would it make sense as well? Like, could you like overlap them or you give them to like everyone or, or what would your recommendation be for when it comes to finding the right music licensing company? Right. So I would say that depends on the structure of each agreement. And I'll give you the perfect example. We had an artist who they signed because our deals are non-exclusive. They signed with us and they also signed with another company, which is fine. But the problem was in the fine print with the other company, they had a content ID clause that was mm. in perpetuity. Mm. So that perpetuity content ID clause meant that even though the artist was able to have music in multiple libraries, those songs still had to remain in that company's content ID forever. And wow. the artist was like, um, like, hey, Kyle, you know, um, you know, I signed this agreement, but don't worry, you know, it's, it's not exclusive. And yeah, you know, they didn't understand what the term perpetuity meant. And, you know, for anyone listening who doesn't know what perpetuity means, that means forever. So essentially, even though they presented a non-exclusive agreement, 
it became kind of null and void because you still have this artist forever tied down in a content ID. So what was happening was a lot of those songs that they placed in multiple libraries, those libraries were now contacting this artist to say, hey, we're getting you placements, you know, Taco Bell or this or that, but we're getting these content ID flags, what's going on? And this artist now forever has to constantly go back to this company and say, hey, can you please clear the, the content ID? And that sucks. You know, mm. so I would say that the devil's in the details. Always mm. make sure you read the fine print because what might appear to be non-exclusive sometimes isn't always the case. So if you do get true to form non-exclusive agreements, that can really work because it allows you to get your music in multiple libraries free and clear, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, so when, when you talk about content ID, that's basically the mechanism that sometimes you'll see on like YouTube where it's like if 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 you play a sample of another song, it might say like, hey, like this, like it basically keeps track of where that song is played. And so it sounds like what you're saying is that you have to be careful sometimes with, you know, quote unquote, non-exclusive agreements that if there's some sort of clause about the content ID in perpetuity, then what's going to happen is if another company, even if it is non-exclusive, if another company gets a placement, it's going to cause some hangups in terms of the regulation. Like it's going to just, you know, it's going to confuse people and it's going to be an extra hassle to actually have to get the clearance for every single time that that song is placed. Definitely. Definitely. You know, and, and like I said, at the end of the day, if you're the type of artist where you have a lot of music and you don't mind a handful of your songs being in an agreement like that, because you know that you'll get returns, so be it. But like I always say, just make sure that you're aware of where those songs are going. So if you're going to have an agreement like that, then those songs should be specifically for that agreement. You shouldn't have those songs dipping in other catalogs because you don't want to develop a bad reputation as a musician who you're, you're signing these agreements, but you got the same music everywhere. It's getting flagged. You know, you, your, your reputation is everything. You know, reputation is gold. So you want to maintain that value. Mm, that's so good. So um, one question that I have for you is, you know, having a lot of experience right now and in, in seeing what is getting synced and what's having the most success like in this world. You know, I know that this is something that that changes and, you know, like surfing, like there's new waves that come and new waves that go. But right now I'd be curious in, in hearing, because there's probably also some underlying patterns, right? Like it's like the same, like waves that still have the same, fundamentally, there's still water and they're still like kind of coming up and they have the same shape. Um, what are the the common patterns that you see when it comes to music licensing that like tend to um, what like maybe it's like emotions or vibe or like the concept of a song? What is it that you see getting the most success with sync placements? Right now, I would say songs that are like cinematic, and when I say cinematic, I mean in terms of like big records where like you have big drops, big buildups. Um, we've been getting a lot of hip hop requests lately for just anthemic so when i say anthemic for people listening it doesn't really know what that means it's like it can be chanting uh if you look at like a nike commercial and it's like you know someone chanting i'm a champion um very driven just hard hitting that's in your face and those anthemic records they tend to be so impactful because they can do a lot in a shorter duration of time so when you look at a commercial, you're not looking at like a conventional song that could last anywhere from two and a half to three minutes. It's in and out. So those big anthemic chanting records are, are what we get a lot of requests for right now. So uh, yeah, that's pretty much like the, like you would say, the wave. 
right? <laughs> yeah, that's that's so fascinating too. Just to kind of reflect and, and look at because you know the the that wave really reflects a lot about just who we are, you know, and and what the kinds of things that we resonate with and what's important to us. And and so it is you know kind of interesting to to see like okay, so anthemic about kind of rising rising to the top, overcoming challenges big buildups and drops and the, some of the things that it brings into my mind are like imagine dragons how they kind of have like some of the chants and kind of like big like and really big drums it has some hip-hop elements to it so that's that's really interesting all right well hey man this has been this has been awesome it's been super valuable and and also inspiring i think that you know just through our conversation um, one thing that really sticks out is just the mindset that you have and i think that's you know probably the most fundamental reason that that you've been able to achieve the success that you have so i really appreciate you you know doing doing what you do and being here to, to share your knowledge with other musicians who are who are starting out for anyone who's watching this right now who is really interested in, in sort of taking the next step here and learning more about music licensing or maybe getting in touch and hearing more about um, what you guys offer at Rhythm Couture, what's the best place for them to to reach out? Oh, definitely. Well, they can go to our site, rhythmcouture.com. And uh, we're just very big on helping musicians. So we actually recently, we started e-courses as well. So we have the music licensing blueprint, which has helped like thousands of musicians. And we also even offer, it's uh, some free steps to help musicians out as well. And that's called getting in sync with the industry. So that's a free download, mm -hmm. you know, really just to help musicians just get the information that they need. Cause it's all about paying it forward at the end of the day. We wanna see as many musicians win as possible. Like that's, that's the goal. You nailed it with that title there, get, getting in sync. <laughs> I've, I mean, being a, being a new dad, uh, my dad pun game has really like risen to a new level. So I can appreciate a good, um, a good wordplay when I see one. Um, awesome. Yeah, I, th I think that would be super valuable for, for anyone to really I mean, to take all the ideas that we talked about today and kind of break it down into um, like a PDF form or into a training where it's kind of like step by step, I think would be super valuable. So we'll make sure to include like links so that people can go uh, check those out. And I think I remember that that you said that you have um, like, so you have a couple of, of free um, trainings. And so that's like, what's uh, what what is what does the free training look like? And we'll make sure to, to put a link to it in the show notes. Yeah, definitely. So that that getting in sync with the industry, that breaks down pretty much the key components when trying to get things licensed. So, you know, like I said, it's totally free. And if anyone wants to take it further, like I said, we have the music licensing blueprint, which is definitely extensive. And it, it really breaks everything down even to further detail. So, you know, we just look forward to helping as many musicians as we can, man. That That's our goal. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And I think it's, it's so smart too. Like it's because through, through that process, you know, you also attract and you find out the, the right people who are going to be a good fit for your roster with, with what you're doing. So that's, that's awesome. So uh, yeah. So what we'll do is we'll put a link to that in the show notes and Kyle, um, you're awesome. Thanks again for taking the time to be here today. Definitely. I appreciate you, Michael. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guest today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, then that'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us. That really helps us out. And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's going to help us reach more musicians like you who want to take the music careers to the next level. The time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.